Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, host of the Pete the Planner Show. So good to be with you live on Facebook, live on YouTube, live on uh, MySpace. We are everywhere. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. I don't know if we're on any of those things, but it's good to be with you. Have you had a good week, my friend? It has been a week to remember. It has certainly been a week to remember. Welcome to uh, all of our regulars. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your Friday to uh, learn about your financial life. And Dame, I I think this week's show is diverse, to say the least. Uh, We've got some fun things. We've got... uh, uh, what do we got? We got gas prices. Hmm. Are they really that bad? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, gambler's fallacy. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of gambling, we're going to talk about Calvin Ridley's NFL suspension for gambling and what an interesting slippery slope that is for lots of different reasons. Uh, and then biggest waste of money of the week and the news Brittany, good morning to you on Facebook Live. A snowy morning from northern Indiana. That's what Dame said. Yeah, it is. It's a dusting here. I wore a fashion boot this morning, and so hopefully it doesn't get too slippery on the sidewalk outside of uh, the office, right, Dame? You've got some fashion camo going on that shirt, don't you? I've got a whole look. I'm serving Luke's today. Sort of like a situation. I don't know. Can you see? Yeah, I don't know. Let me let me right. go a one shot here. Podcasters are loving this. By the way, I'm trying to look handsome today. There I am. I mean, sort of. Okay. It's all right. I mean, yeah. I look like the guy who's dressed poorly at a funeral. <laughs> 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 I went to a relative's funeral years ago. Years ago. I mean, I had to have been in middle school or something like that. And then the other side, you know, the other side of the family you don't know yeah. Yeah. shows up. And... There was a dude in a Canadian tuxedo, straight denim suit. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, this is different than what I'm used to. And I liked it. I liked it. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking at this jacket I'm wearing, which is not denim, but it, it reminds me of that other guy's yeah. Canadian tuxedo. Yeah. Hey, can we talk about the lyrics scrolling the bottom real quick? Sure. What do you got? Have you watched the new uh, the reboot of? Okay, Bella? so yes, let's do this. So uh, every week now here on the show, I I scroll some of my favorite uh, rap lyrics at the bottom of the screen. I'm uh, today I, I'm scrolling Fresh Prince of Bel Air hmm? soundtrack. Dame, have you watched Bel Air? I haven't watched any of the new stuff. Okay, I'm I'm I've watched the whole season and I'm ready to give you a report. See, I've I before you get into it, okay. I have seen numbers of people say that they don't care for it because it diverges so drastically from the vibe of the first. Okay, so here is my expert opinion. First of all, I want to say that Fresh Prince of Bel Air was one of my favorite shows of yeah. all time. Yeah, and I loved it. This is, in my opinion, the perfect reboot. Really? It is remarkable. And here's why. Because the the first the, the first show is a fish out of water story, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the first show. What this one does is it sort of takes this this look at really complex issues that teens really really deal with in the year 2022. Right? Yeah. And so I, I don't want to ruin the show for anyone, but whereas Carlton in the first show was sort of a uh, you know, like a, a 
I don't, what do you what do you, what do you, what do you call him? Kind of a nerdy guy, sort of mm-hmm. goofy, and and in Mister Goody Two Shoes. Oh, they take a different approach with Carlton in the second show. Um, and you know the the lyrics of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's when uh, got in a fight in the playground in West Philly or whatever. Oh, that's escalated too as to what really happened and got him out there. Um, the Uncle Phil character is amazing. The best choice in the really? entire. Oh, and then Hillary, remember Hillary? Yeah, is an Instagram influencer, of course, which, which is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey, the butler, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. best choice. What? You said Uncle Phil was the best choice. No, no, no. well, uh, Uncle Phil's the best choice for Uncle Phil. Jeffrey is the best character choice of like what they did with him. They made him this like fixer, like this mm. guy, like this body man that oh. takes care of stuff for Uncle Phil. Oh, Didn't oh see my that coming. gosh. It is. Oh, by the way, you cannot watch the show with your kids. It's incredibly <laughs> profane, incredibly profane. I have to pause it. My kids the other day were like, why do you every time we walk in the room, you pause the TV? Like, what are you watching? And I'm like, that's a fair point. I'm watching things that you can't. But Dame, uh, five out of five Peters for that show. Wow. I mean, that's strong rating. I I don't know if I'll ever be able to get over Uncle Phil not being Uncle Phil, though. The oh, Man, it's just it's such a great show. Uh, and the soundtrack is a banger. Did Will Smith re-record the... No. No? There's been no actual will smith the actor reference other than the character is called will smith but there's no like famous will smith things yet and uh jazzy jeff dj jazzy Mm -hmm. jeff uh jazz in the movie is a a a uber driver and a record store owner that um lives out there he's not from philly okay yeah it's so good i'm so good just in the way i love cobra kai I also love. Should we do a radio show? Yeah, we probably ought. You know, we had a pre-show discussion about this, um, the radio show, and we're not doing the radio show. If you, I would have known that we, you were going to scroll these lyrics. We could have covered that in the pre-show and totally skipped this. Highly recommend Bel Air on Peacock Plus. Okay. Dame in three. Oh, I got to get ready for this. Hold on. What a loser he is today. And by he, I mean me. Oh. Mm, being a little too hard on myself. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. Dame, uh, Damian Dunn, that is, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line. Hello, Damian. Hello, Pete. You're our, our co-host, it turns out. Yeah, occasionally. Uh, Dame, as we record this show, as we always do, Friday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern, we are reminded that today is the two-year anniversary of COVID-19 being declared a pandemic. Pandemic. But we're doing better, uh, I think. Uh, there are reports out of China that they're locking back down 9 million people uh, because of another outbreak. So we'll see what happens. So far, so good. I've traveled this week. I've been on an airplane. I've been in New Orleans. Everything's fine. But, Dame, something isn't fine is oil prices. Mm-hmm. And out of the respect to the people of Ukraine, uh, we also want to, to note that uh, we're more concerned about them 
than we are about oil prices. Alas, oil prices are very high and people are upset about gas prices. So Dave, what I wanted to do is inspired by a friend of mine on Twitter is I wanna take the time to break down what it actually means from a financial perspective with oil prices being higher to our daily driving. Are, are you up for this? Yeah, let's see where this goes. Okay, so uh, Jason Fetchner is a friend of mine. He is a broadcaster. He broadcasts out of uh, uh, radio, or pardon me, a, a, a television station in Wisconsin now. He used to be a, a news anchor here in Indianapolis. He tweeted on yesterday, March 10th, the average American drives 1,125 miles each month. I'm going to pause there, Dame. I was trying to do math on my own. Grab your calculator if you have to. You and I are going to do our own travel math. I have a six-mile commute <laughs> that I... Well, it's true. Six-mile commute. So times two, five days a week. That's 60 miles a week. And I'm going to go with uh, four weeks. Uh, so that's 240 miles uh, is, is my commute. And that's that's not bad. I mean, how many more miles do you think I should stack on for the weekends? It's not like I drive all the time. Do you think I should add another 500 miles uh, for the other 10 days? No, I don't believe that would be reasonable in your case, but you are, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to add 300. You're... I'm going to add 300. Okay. Because we're going, taking kids to the game. So I, yeah. I, I just multiplied that. So that's not great. Um, I'm at 540 miles-ish a month is where I'm going with my car. Uh, and Mrs. Planner is probably less, although she's running just like a mile here, mile there. So I, I'm going to say as a household, we're at less than a thousand. Yeah. 800. Wow. Okay. Uh, my household, uh, myself, I bet I am in the 1400 mile a month, uh, category. What? Yeah. How? Lots of trips to Fort Wayne. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a lot of fun in Fort Wayne. That's why they call it Fort Fun. That's right. Uh, and uh, my wife, my Mrs. Planner, uh, well, she works in Fort Wayne. And she works on the far side of Fort Wayne. So I bet she is easily in the 1,400 mile. So you're going to go with 3,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, bet we're, I bet we're in the 3,000 club per okay. month. Okay. So put a pin in that. Uh, I'm at 800. Got it. The average American drives a, a 1,125 miles each month. I guess you are each independently Americans, though, right? So That's if we're true. talking about each American, so it's fine. still holds up. Um, and according to the EPA, the average uh, fuel efficiency of a vehicle is 24.9 miles per gallon. Okay, so this is where uh, I, I, I have to step in even on my car. I'm not getting 24.9 miles a gallon. I'm probably getting 21. Uh, what do you think you guys are getting? Um, I am around um, 17 and a half or 18. Okay. And the other vehicle is probably, it's probably 23, 24 okay. maybe. Yeah, Mrs. Planner is probably 24, 25. Okay. So with gas up 84 cents in the last month on average, uh, and this is saying the average gallon of gas right now, according to AAA, is $4.32 a gallon. Okay. Okay. That means the current price spike that, that we're in the midst of in the last 30 days has cost the average American $37.95 in the last 30 days. Now, now this is a really interesting 
point to discuss. And I, I really, really like this. Mm-hmm. What we are not saying in any way, shape, or form is that if $37.95 is your reality, that is your price increase, if that's, mm-hmm. if, if, if that's what is the reality for you, we're not saying that if that is hard for you, that we're dismissive of that concern. We are 100% not saying that. So I will now speak for myself. There are a lot of problems in this world and there are a lot of indirect costs with fuel prices being so high. But the direct costs on my life being, based on my math, less than $37.95, I'm not going to spend any time being aggravated by that or leveraging it to push my own narrative as to what's going on in the world. And I will speak for myself. I just had a very similar thought sitting in line for gasoline uh, earlier this week uh, because I, I typically go to a, a big uh, discount uh, place to, to buy my gasoline. Uh, Costco. Close. Sam's uh, Club. There you go. No free ads. Okay. Uh, I thought, you know, really, how much is this costing me? And once I did the math, and I have to say I was rather embarrassed that I was so concerned about gas prices when um, I could easily skip a couple donuts and, and make up for the, the difference in, in price at that point. So, um, yeah, there is sticker shock, and nobody wants to feel like they're they're paying more than they have to in anything. But we use gasoline so often, it's so important to our lives, that when we see those incremental costs climb, it has a very profound effect on our psyches and it starts to cascade into other areas of our, our spending and our, our um, just awareness of our finances. So um, it's interesting to see that when prices go up, people also start to modify their, their spending in other areas. They all of a sudden become very aware of where money is going. And that's a horrible way to get to that point in your life, but it's not yeah. the worst thing either. Yeah, what I find fascinating about this, and of course, we always end up towing the line of talking politics, and um, that's not the intent here. But but I will know anytime there's this uh, there's this cultural movement of oh my gosh, this is so terrible. It's important to look at the numbers. Like it uh, it is important to look at the numbers of how it really affects you. Now we have not talked about indirect costs, like how will delivery uh, of Mm You know, Amazon items go up and, and we're, however you shop and, and those things. But I would say on the surface, in the last 30 days, the spike of uh, in, in oil prices has not had a significant impact on the average American. Uh, and, and so it's with that that I say, let's make sure that we contextualize the news a little bit better than the... <laughs> than most people do. I think this show is meant to be a little bit smarter, just a little bit smarter. And so I'm willing to say, so far, not a tremendously big deal for the average American. However, keeping our eye on it, because if we stay on this pace for another 30 days, you're approaching 100 bucks a month. And I have to say, I, I think that is problematic for, for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it start, the, the math starts to change at some point, but the uh, the one overlooked fact I, I think we can all rally around is high gas prices bring people together as something to complain about as one voice. And uh, it's, a, it's a unifier, not a divider. Well, I think where it gets, uh, and uh, this is my final point before we go to break, where it gets divisive is who you blame. Right yeah. now, I, I'm going to make a point because I, this has been bothering me for a year. For one year, it's been bothering me. If you want to blame the president for gas prices, awesome, fantastic. I don't really care. Like, I, that's good. That's awesome. 
What I am really bothered by are the I did this stickers <laughs> that people put on gas pumps. Why? Because that's someone's business that you're defacing that they have to scrape off the sticker. And I, I mean, I just have a problem with that. Like, is it a funny joke? Maybe. Is it true? Maybe. Is it is it vandalism? Absolutely. And it bothers me. Coming up after the break, poor me whining. I'm Pete the Planner. <laughs> Boy, I missed that by four seconds. That bothers me. You know how I get. I get weird about certain things. Like, that yeah. bothers me so much. It's It's arguably funny, even though I may or may not disagree with with the basis yeah. of the argument. Right. But it's if it was a magnet, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Right. Or, you know, a, a peel and stick where, the, you know, just like a little vinyl decal that you can take and replace somewhere else. And I mean, that'd be kind of kind of fun to be able to just place those all over the place. And yeah, different areas. Yeah. I mean, it's it's still littering at that point, but it's you're not making some person making ten dollars an hour go out there and scrape the sticker off because that's their job I, I just find that to be just incredibly disrespectful is it littering if it never hits the ground that's, that's maybe that's the real question here that is I, the real question i don't know the, i don't know the answer to that okay how about this uh someone places a flyer in your windshield and it's under the windshield wiper that's not littering but if you drive away and the flyer f- flies off who littered <laughs> Did they yeah. litter or did you litter? Yeah. Oh, until we figure this out, we'll never get back to the moon. We're going to need an attorney. Do you ever wonder the first person to just sit around? I mean, wherever this was, we're in the world, whatever time frame that just said, we should go to the moon. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Someone said it first in a sure. serious way. Someone probably like, oh, I wonder if there's cheese. But some other person was like, we should go to the moon. When do you think that thought actually had to happen? I don't know. I mean, because if, if you haven't even flown you know, across the ground, could, could you really even dream to go to the moon at that point? Oh, that's is, a great question. This is going to get deep. Well, yeah. Okay. So, okay. This is super interesting. Prior to automobiles. Okay. So prior to automobiles. It's hard to think that that exists, existed, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the knowledge or the, the dream to go to the moon. So let's go back from there. Bicycles? No, clearly not. Well, I guess we got to go forward from there. How about airplanes? Airplanes probably started it. Closer. Huh, that is interesting. Think about the stuff that we haven't dreamed about yet. I know. That possible. I feel like we're, we should have be eating bag of Cheetos. Exactly. And like, you know, but that's not really my thing either. Live from Colorado. I was in New Orleans this past week. Uh, you know, I'm not a, a weed guy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, but I also don't care, right? Like right. if that's yeah. your thing, fantastic. I don't really care. Wow. Every major city in America just smells like weed now. I was in Chicago two weeks ago and you you just walk around and it just smells like weed. New Orleans Holy moly, it smells like weed every step of, of being outdoors. It probably masks other odors that you might find offensive as well, though. Uh, yeah. It was a good time in New Orleans. I'm, you know, again, it's New Orleans. I'm a big food guy. I like mm. a good cocktail. So that's, I mean, in my wheelhouse. I don't like fun, though. And it's a place to have fun. And I'm not interested in that. Do you know I've never been there? That doesn't surprise me. And I say that respectfully. Yeah, I know. I see. 
Um, all places. That's not you're not place. a huge food guy, though, either. No, I'm not. Yeah. It, I ate a lot of food, Damien. <laughs> Can yeah. I list the New Orleans foods that I had within a 48-hour period? Oh, this will be great. Please, no, don't. please don't send this clip <laughs> to anyone I may or may not be married to. <clears throat> Started with a, a po' boy um, and a cup of gumbo. Then was this, went, was this at the airport? No, no, no. But the second I got in my hotel, I went and found this. Then I walked to Cafe Dumont and had beignets. Okay. Then I, I mean, this was all within like 30 minutes. And I, and, and so I had, I had a banana in the morning. So then I was like, oh boy. So then, um, and I went and had a cocktail at a, at a random bar. And then I, I had, uh, shrimp and grits for dinner and, the, the the restaurant brought out um, uh, pork rinds, you know, homemade mm. crackling. Uh, so then there was that. I, I'm going to actually stop. This is day one, and I just thought about day two. Is <laughs> so we got to go. We got to get. It, oh, we got to get it moving. Not because we have other things to do, because we're just talking too much. Dame, what am I doing? Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame. I don't know if uh, you know this. Uh, but there is something in the financial world uh, specific to investing called the gambler's fallacy. And we try to improve people's financial lives and their investing styles and skills. We have to have a conversation about the gambler's fallacy. And I'm hoping you can take us down a path as to what it is, why it matters, and why it is so darn common, and why it also helped me help my friend lose hundreds of dollars in Vegas back when we were in college. So you begin. Yeah. So our brain is really, really good at finding patterns and things uh, that, that may exist and that usually do exist, but our brain works against us sometimes and just extrapolates that and says, well, I've recognized that pattern. Here's what's going to happen next. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. The gambler's fallacy says, uh, imagine if you will, a coin that's flipped 10 times in a row and gets, uh, heads every time gambler's fallacy says i've recognized a pattern and there's no way that pattern holds up it's going to be tails it has to be tails this time well it doesn't have to be tails it's 50 50 shot it could be another string of 10 heads because the previous 10 results aren't uh, they don't influence the next result gambler's fallacy is really close to reasonsy bias that's one people may be a little bit more familiar with and that says uh, if you see that string of 10 heads uh, that have been flipped it's going to be heads, man. I've seen 10 of them. It's got to be heads again. It's a nice little pattern I've identified there. Not the case. It's still a 50-50 shot. It's independent every single time it happens. Where we get into trouble is when we start identifying patterns that aren't really there. Or that they are there, but they don't really matter on the uh, outcome of the, the very next instance that happens. And investing, that can get you into a lot of trouble. Right, Pete? No, it absolutely can. I mean, from day traders who are just trying to figure things out to um, even looking at like crypto markets, you know, the, the person who wants to start out investing. And so they they say, oh, well, crypto has been down 8% this week and it's got to go back up. Mm -hmm. um, see that a lot. Now, Dame, I sort of first learned about this. Uh, my friend and I in college, we were 21. Uh, he was going to school out at University of the Redlands, University of Redlands. And I think San Bernardino, California, I want to say, maybe. So he and I cross-country road trip. I mean, the ultimate college bro road trip swung through Vegas because 
why, why, why would you not do that? Yeah. So we went gambling. I believe we were at Circus Circus. Mm. And he had this theory that his dad shared with him of how to play roulette. And it was a foolproof strategy. I am all in. I have I had my own strategy that failed miserably as well. Let's compare. Okay, so here's the strategy. You only bet on even odd or black or red. That's it. You so it's either black or red or even or odd or both. Like right? you you can bet on, sure. you know, both things. And here's how it works. You place a bet of $20 on black, okay? <laughs> and if you win, you win. It's fantastic. If you lose, then you place forty dollars mm-hmm. on black and if you lose you place eighty dollars on black mm-hmm. and if you lose you place hundred and sixty dollars on black and so this is what we did of course we i think we started at five bucks because we were broke college kids um and it worked until it doesn't work and the dumbest part about it is inevitably it'll hit zero or double zero depending on what's on the wheel and then you think to yourself because you're an idiot um oh now now it starts back over (laughs) because (laughs) what you'll do is you'll say well i'm only betting on black if there are three reds like that's how you start out you you go up and you're just watching the tower and there's three reds and you're like it's time. (laughs) Then you put a $5 (laughs) chip on the black and you're like, let's go. So anyway, my buddy was up hundreds of dollars with Mm -hmm. this stupid lucky method that is not really a strategy. Um, But I was down. And so I was like, hey man, just hang out here a little bit longer so I can get back up. So we hung out five minutes longer. (laughs) He cut his winnings in half and and I got close to even. But is that your methodology of sucking at uh, roulette as well? Really close. It involves uh, betting on thirds of the of the the numbers instead of just the the colors or the um, even odds. But very similar. Uh, you, 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 except in this case, you pick two thirds, knowing one of them is a guaranteed loser, but you're trying to cut your odds down or in, increase your odds by eliminating a certain section of that uh, that table. And the math still doesn't work. The, the house still wins because people uh, really enjoy those free drinks that they keep shoving in front of your face and uh, spending money and losing money eventually. You know, last week we talked a little bit about the herd mentality and uh, people, you know, d- doing. It's like crypto. We bring in crypto all the time, but it's just such a great example of how people are, are reacting psychologically to investments. Everyone's running towards crypto. So, uh, you know, a person taking advantage of the herd mentality would say, well, I'm going to stay out of crypto or you know, I'm going to sell because everyone's running that way. Now, what, when you combine that with the gambler's fallacy or recency bias, it gets pretty interesting because what you'll say is, okay, gas prices are going up. Gas prices are going up. Gas prices—they've got to go down, right? You—you—you mm-hmm. you, you trick yourselves into these little arbitrary time frames in which, well, hey, it's gone up every day for the last nine days. It's coming down, and and there's not necessarily any truth in that. No, I making. Um, Trying to apply this to short-term observations is really, really tricky. Uh, when we start looking at bigger time periods, then there's a little bit of data that comes into it that, that makes it um, a, a little more um, reasonable to, to make these projections. Uh, but you'll notice that every time you see an investment advertised, and frankly, I haven't seen investments advertised on TV in forever. Have you? 
No, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking of old Dreyfus commercials. Yeah, Franklin Templeton. Franklin Templeton. I, I would say I, I feel like, and I could be wrong. Of course, you see Fidelity commercials. You yeah. can't avoid those. I feel like T. Rowe Price. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen those. Um, but what do they say at the end of all of those? Past performance, Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, even if you have a lot of data and a lot of history and a lot of background to try and uh, make your maybe a reasonable assumption on, on what's going to happen in the future, you can't. You can't. It's it's a educated guess at best at that point. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. And next segment, we're actually talking about actual gambling and how it got one individual in, in pretty big trouble. If if you've got people gambling in a more normalized way now, which millions and millions of millions of people gamble on a daily basis because of apps, mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm of possibility or, 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 or feasibility for those people to have similar investment habits, styles, and thoughts. And, and so that's why we bring this stuff up is because if you're looking for patterns where there are not actual patterns, you're seeing ghosts. Yeah, I, it's it's just so interesting. The, the human mind uh, is an amazing, <laughs> amazing creature, and it will lead you astray just as often as it gives you insight to whatever you're you're trying to find. All right, so here's what we're going to do after the break. Uh, <laughs> we we're going to talk about uh, one of the more interesting stories to, to come across uh, the, the sports world in a long time. And that's saying a lot because there's a lot of interesting stories out there. Uh, wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, Calvin Ridley was recently suspended for an entire year. I believe he's the fifth player ever to be suspended for gambling, a band for gambling in the NFL. So we're going to talk about the particulars of this. Cause it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's a, it's a really slippery slope, uh, sports gambling and for a very particular reason because if you you fix a game and then money changes hands and it's so it's a horrible thing there was that old scandal i believe it was at arizona state Mm -hmm. i could be making that up the point shaving Shaving. scandal um that's the biggest fear right in the sports world that those sorts of things take place so coming up after the break we're going to talk the gambler's fallacy into the gambler's bad idea and, and, and why it's going to cost one guy millions of dollars for only gambling $1,500 for his team to win. All that's next. Money, gambling, and fun. Right here on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. I don't know if you noticed that, but that outro was a minute and 20 seconds. Oh, I, I saw the wind-up uh, when I stopped and... Uh... I knew what you were going for. Well, oh, man, I don't know if it's well done or just like <clears throat> wasteful air. I didn't give you much of a choice. Uh, that was pretty much just throwing it in your lap and saying, have fun. <sighs> That's it's all right. All right. So let's do this story. Um, I'll try to stay away from my hot takes. <laughs> why, why? I don't know. I, I don't want to be judgy. You know, like, sometimes I do. I'm, I'm not trying to judge anybody i'm just trying to say like it's a slippery slope here and, and let's just cover it now okay ready to go yep yep three two one back on the pete the planner show dame this week the national football league suspended calvin ridley wide receiver from the atlanta falcons for gambling it is illegal to bet on football if you are a football player 
according to the NFL, he did something called a parlay mm-hmm. where it's a series of bets. And if all of those bets hit the way you want, you win a bunch of money. Uh, if the parlay falls apart, well, parlay falls apart. And in fact, I don't actually understand that much about it because it's not my jam. But I will note part of this wager was that he bet that the Atlanta Falcons, who he was not playing for at the time, because although he was on the team, he stepped away to address mental health concerns, which is a really smart decision, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Good for him. Um, got bored, decided to bet on his team to win. And that violated the league's gambling policy. And so he was suspended for a year. So, so Dame, there's a lot to uncover here. Um, and I just would like to start with this. Hearing broadcasters talk about this story, given how many commercials they do for sports gambling, and hearing the league suspend him based on all the money they take from gambling sites, the fact that some professional sports teams now have uh, I don't even know what they're called. Gambling desks. I don't know. In the stadium where people can place bets in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And this guy gets suspended for gambling. That's pretty, pretty thick, pretty thick irony there. Yeah. I mean, there is a very close relationship with professional sports and gambling and has been arguably for decades and decades. Um, whether it was legal or not. And now, of course, the owners and leagues have found a way to make revenue off of that. And as, as gambling laws loosen up, everybody's happy. But for for some very reasonable reasons, they prohibit their uh, players from gambling on the sport that they participate in. I think that's not that unreasonable to uh, to, to mandate for, for those, those players. However, is it really that bad if you're just betting for wins in that point it's not like you're and and you're not playing at that point yeah i mean right betting for wins is interesting because unless you know that someone who's on the injury report is definitely playing despite the fact that they are listed as doubtful it shouldn't really it shouldn't really matter because it's it's you're not you can't shave points right i will note and, and this is interesting in how we try to uh, circumnavigate the obvious here. There's a former six or a six time uh, NBA league champion, former several time MVP who took a break in the middle of his career to go play another sport that then came back. And part of that was uh, speculation that that person had a gambling issue that he had to settle up with the league. And that's why he stepped away to go play another sport with a stick. Um, so this whole concept isn't new. And, I was watching a, on YouTube the other day, JJ Redick, who is a, a former NBA guard, has a podcast and show now, which is, I don't really care about the NBA that much. Fascinating show. Hmm. They sit around and drink wine, like really nice wine, and he interviews a, a player and they just talk about like high level NBA stuff. It's really interesting. Um, and they're talking about all the gambling that goes on on team planes, oh, hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars exchanging hands from one city to another every night. These guys are so adrenaline fueled by what they do for a living that the adrenaline of gambling is understandably right there in their wheelhouse. That surprises me more than <clears throat> than just about anything else because I can't, short of a couple other things, gambling would have to be one of the quickest ways to tear a team apart in, in my estimation. Uh, and the fact that it goes on routinely in every sport 
but you know, the, a few of them maybe a little bit more than others blows my mind that a team would permit such activities to take place. That's it. You make an, an interesting point about friends or coworkers gambling with each other. So let's, let's paint a picture here. Dame, let's say you and I like to bet the ponies. Sure. Well, I actually can't bet against someone on pony. It's a sports wager. Just you and me. You pick the Redskins, mm-hmm. right? which is not a team uh, yeah, anymore. No. It's the Commanders. Yes. Commandos. I don't know. And I pick the Bulls. It's an inter- inter-sports scrimmage here. All right. And let's say the Bulls win. You lose $30,000 to me. Doesn't that impact our relationship? I, I would, from my point of view. You'd probably be okay with it, though. No, I mean, but if, if, if we're, you know, 30,000 feet, it definitely impacts our relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see how there's any way. I mean, I, I understand these these gentlemen have lots and lots of money. 30 grand still 30 grand, though. I mean, and, and frankly, maybe it's not even about the money. Maybe it's the fact that you got beat by somebody else and there's nothing you can do about it because these guys are hyper-competitive, hyper-competitive. They don't like to lose at all. I can't imagine this does anything for team morale. So then what happened after the Calvin Ridley suspension? But if you're, if you're tuning into uh, this is not sports talk, this is a financial show, but as we examine how people invest and the uh, popularity of gambling apps, you you knew there was going to be some, some weird byproducts to this and, and NFL players getting suspended for gambling is one of those byproducts. That's why we're talking about it today. Uh, Dame, you look at this Calvin Ridley situation and you think, okay, well, what if people put together game film from him in the last few years to see if there was ever a play in which he wasn't giving his full effort or maybe he made a weird decision that looked through the lens of, wonder if he's point shaving. Lo and behold, within 24 hours of him being suspended, there are clips on the internet that you and I have both seen of him making suboptimal decisions on the field that blow your mind. Yeah, I mean, could he just be a, a wide receiver or a, a player who's trying to protect themselves or make a break a play? Very possible. Totally. But, now, but now we're not that, accusing him. We're, no. We are not accusing him of, no. of point shaving. But this is what happens. But, but then what when, happens. when our mind sees, has additional information and is presented with a pattern, which is what, what those clips show, even though they are cherry-picked, very clearly, then we start to put two and two together and say, oh, he might have been point shaven or he might have been trying to influence the outcome of certain wagers. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I will say this. Uh, this feels like the tip of the iceberg. Do you know how uh, how I think the uh, the leagues and the sports books get around this? Uh, no, I'm curious. They start, sanction- they, they start um, paying players to publish their bets every week. They don't actually get any monetary reward from it, but they say, you know what? We're going to give you $50,000 and we just want you to make your picks on any given week. In their sport or any sport? Uh, I don't, in their Wait. sport might be difficult. It wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be able to be on their team, but they could make, you know, these, uh, this is what I would pick if I was able to wager money. You know what? I, I'm. I think I'm with you here. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if you if you look through the lens of um, name, image, likeness in mm-hmm. the college sports and how people are now able to, to to profit off of their name, image, or likeness, and appropriately, in my estimation, mm-hmm. 
there's going to be more creative arrangements like this. And and I think what you just said makes a ton of sense. That's a brilliant prediction. Yeah, I need to go open a book real quick and uh, and and uh, patent this idea. The, the what Mrs. Planner and I got talking about was okay. So uh, both of our sons' uh, initials are TD. So both of our TDs are growing up in a normalized sports gambling culture mm-hmm. in which when they just want to watch sports, like any little boy might want to do, if that's their thing, uh, they can't avoid it. They, they, you know, win Terry Bradshaw's money, or this is brought to you by this, or here's my picks. And like for you and I, it was still rather taboo, right? There's the idea of a bookie, you know, these sorts yeah. of things. What's going to be the impact of kids, our son's ages, when they're 18 to 22, when they're in college? Like what is... What was our Joe Camel? Yeah. What is going to happen there? Because for us, it was Joe Camel. Like Joe Camel was the tip of the iceberg of behavior that led to some horrible outcomes for people getting into tobacco when they could. You wonder if that's going to happen with sports gambling and kids. I hadn't really put that together, but it's it's got to be a concern. It really does. This is how I know I'm an old guy. I'm sitting here complaining about Joe Camel and sports gambling. Yeah. I'm so I told you earlier in the show. I'm not fun. Coming up after the break, more not fun right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm not. I have no problem with it. Yeah. I mean, wear that badge with pride, Pete. I'm going to have fun here in a couple of weeks when I'm fishing in Florida. Oh? On vacation. Oh. Yeah, the uh, Pete the Planner World Tour started back up. Uh, uh, I'm going to Houston here in, in a couple of weeks. Then Florida for vacation, then Florida for work, then Iowa, then Phoenix, wow, then Utah. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. Let's hope I don't eat as much. Do you want the second day of eating real quick? Yes. Okay. Second day of eating started with a Cajun omelet and a biscuit. <laughs> um, then went to... Hmm. I think I ate lunch. Then it went to like this plate of ribs and Cajun fries. Then it made its way to some oysters, some swordfish, and uh, some bread pudding. And there was a tremendous amount of cocktails in there as well. Sazeracs, more specifically. Did you do any work or was this just like one big food coma? No, I. what's weird now, I mean, I just worked in our, my hotel room and then I would go out and eat and come back and work. Oh, and then, like, you know, I had a nice dinner, but yeah. That's a good thing that Mrs. Planner doesn't listen to this. She might be upset that you just basically traveled to go eat for a while. And, oh, she uh, knew. And, and work I mean, in a remote she, location. She knows my problems. Okay. All of my problems. All right. Let's do the show. Uh, you ready for news? Yeah. Okay. A Cajun omelet, Matt asks, what is a Cajun omelet? I mean, it's a sort of, a, I sort of said it in a dumb way. Uh, it was like some Cajun sausage um, andouille, if you will, uh, andouille, uh, potatoes and whatnot, lots of cheese, spicy, mm. spicy. There we mm. go. Mm. Oh, then a muffaletta. I have muffaletta. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But I did have a kale salad on the side. Well, perfect. I got problems, man. I got big problems. Did you feel really proud ordering that kale salad? Like this will fix everything. I don't want to answer that. I don't want to answer that. <laughs> I was like, you know, I need some roughage. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't. 
can't believe I just admitted all that. That was like 30 hours I consumed all that food. I did work out, though, twice. So, okay. Three, uh, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week is the Rancho Carinoso Oceanfront Estate. Situated on 4.22 acres in Santa Barbara, the Rancho Carinoso is a rare beach retreat. The legacy property property sits on the oceanfront adjacent to the famous Loon Point surf break, secluded by mature trees. The 2,500 square foot main house features three bedrooms, four bathrooms, and a detached garage. The site is already zoned for a nine-horse stable uh, and includes a network of private trails that leads down to the beach. On the sand, there's a private cabana for barbecues and an area to keep small boats, kayaks, and jet skis. The property also offers expansion opportunities with additional building sites to add a pool or new structures. The listing is currently held by so-and-so, so-and-so. So let me say, Dame, first of all, Santa Barbara is one of my favorite places on the entire planet. It is wonderful. We tend to go there every other year or so. Um, but what do you think this oceanfront estate that's 2,500 square feet house, what do you think it costs? It's Did for sale right now. Do you say how many acres there were there? Or is that four? Four acres. Four acres. Dame, how many acres do you got? Uh, just almost six and a half. Okay. I have an eighth of an acre. Just, mm-hmm. just to let you know, I have an eighth of an acre. You have six and a half. So do your Northern Indiana math here on your six acres. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you got? Uh, translated into this? Yeah. Uh, not very much. If we're just going on based on acreage, but based on the location of that acreage, uh, $15 million. Okay. Dame's in at 15 million. Rick Swink, Facebook Live, at $41 million. Danza, listener of the year a couple years ago, $18 million. The answer, Dame, is $109 million. Is it sitting on an oil deposit? Or, I don't uh, know. Some, some I don't know. I mean, like, look, this seems like an amazing place. I'm not yeah. hating on the property. It could be the best thing you've ever seen. However, for $109 million, like, what? It's, it's a shame it's going to slide into the ocean someday. I'm looking at it right now online. I mean, I might make an, I might loop all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Never be afraid to offend. That's, that's the advice. I've you know, said. I, do you want to call them on the air and loop all them? I don't think. Can we open. do that? I don't think they're open. Oh yeah. It's a little early because the, the agent's numbers right here. I'm going to click the contact link. Oh, the, the agents are handsome. Oh, of course they are. They're asking oh my $109. gosh. His phone number's right here. Should we call him? Yeah, you want to get some uh, some specs on this uh, this thing? Hundred nine million. I'm I'm seriously considering calling this man. Just curious, is. Uh... But I mean, I don't. I can't put him on the air. I think I've gotten in trouble uh, for yeah, that yeah. years ago. I cannot do that. Well, then everything falls apart if we can't get some. Uh... I know, but I want to lowball him. But I don't want to waste his time. But like, what should we offer? Could could we just record the conversation, do it off air, and? Uh... No, I don't know. I don't. I'm not looking to get in trouble. My key with our radio station, our flagship, uh, 93 WIBC. Uh, my my policy with him is I'm low maintenance. Like I, yeah. I do not cause them any trouble. So I don't think they need uh, me to do this. So it's with that I say, Dame, what's the news this week? Well, let's stay in this lane, Pete. A record certain percentage of U.S. homes were valued at one million dollars or more in Ooh. February. 
Oh, I love this. Okay. What percentage of American homes mm-hmm. were valued over a million dollars in February? Correct. Oh, man, this is a tough one. And here's why this is tough. Because there's such a dense population in California mm-hmm. and so many seven-figure homes. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, yeah. mo- oh, yeah. oh, boy, this is tough. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a million-dollar home in California. Oh, now Peter's going to be calling us. Oh. Uh, oh, I'm going to miss so bad on this. Uh, oh, I'm going to hate myself. Uh, 18%. Oh, wow, that's aggressive. 8.2% of U.S. homes were valued at a million or more. See, which, I told you I was going to embarrass myself. So, which was a huge jump from 4.8 two years ago. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm so embarrassed they said 18%. The top six metros with the highest share of a million-dollar home, uh, million homes. Okay. Uh, Los, Los Angeles? Uh, they're all in California. So okay. I, just led by San Francisco. San Francisco. Percentage of million-dollar homes in San Francisco. Uh, of, of all the homes in San Francisco, what percentage of them were million or more? 30%. 88.7. Oh! There we Whoa. go. There we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that even <laughs> helps my point. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it... Uh puts a different perspective on real estate in your local area unless you live in you know one of those major metro areas. What else is in the news? Uh, Pete, I wanted to congratulate you on your Amazon stock split uh, yes. that was announced earlier this week, 20 for 1. If you'll remember, uh, Amazon was Pete's pick for loser stock of the year this year. It was, and you and I were talking before the show uh, on a 21 to 1 stock split for every share you get or you have, you end up with 20. Uh, you, have, you have 20 yeah. in the end. So let's say you have 10 shares, uh, you end up with 20 times that, and then you have 200 shares. I was reading an article that was trying to describe how a stock split works, and it said, for every share you have, they give you 19 more. So all you have to do is take the number of shares you have and then assign 19 more shares times the number of shares you have. It's like the most confusing way to explain it as opposed to multiply by 20. But thank you for the explanation. And Dame, I will say... Uh, as a shareholder of Amazon, well, a significant one. I own literally not much. Uh, I'm happy about it. As my pick for a loser stock of the year, I'm not happy about it. Yeah. Didn't do you any favors uh, on, on our uh, gambling. Yeah. yeah. By the way, it's worth noting that when a stock split happens, it is not inherently good nor bad. It is, if nothing else, a marketing ploy to make shares seem more attractive. They are not uh, better. They just seem more affordable for more investors. So people can buy in what are called round lots. Stocks are usually traded in blocks of 100. And so what happens is when you have a $3,000 share price, to buy 100 shares, you got to have a lot of coin. Right. So what they do is they say, well, you know, let's drop the the price to 115 bucks or whatever the heck it is. uh, And then more people can afford a round lot. And and that's the theory, generally speaking, around stock splits. We had to teach people something today, Jane. Dame. Jane. Jane, That's right, Jane. Back to Uh, you, Jane. Thanks. That's a good news lady name. Jane. Fantastic news lady name. Sorry to interrupt you. What's in the news, Jane? Uh, 
Georgia man has been sentenced to 36 months in prison. That's three years if you're having problems doing the math. After using COVID-19 relief money to purchase a rare Charizard Pokemon card. The Department of Justice announced the sentencing in a news release issued Monday. The third man, 31-year-old, uh, I'll not mention his name, uh, was awarded an economic injury disaster loan for $85,000 after claiming to own a small business that supported 10 employees. These loans were created as part of Congress's pan, uh, pandemic relief plan and intended to be used for businesses to pay workers and rent. Uh, once the man got the money, however, the Department of Justice said he used nearly $58,000 of it to buy a Pokemon card. You know what they got to do with all these fraudsters is they got to catch them all. Very well. Very well done. <laughs> you know, Big, well Big Rick Swink makes a point in the Facebook chat here that is super important. Super important. Our bet for worst stock of the year is which would have the biggest decrease in share price. Dame, mm -hmm. with Amazon splitting... By 20, I win. Yeah. I win. Yeah. I won. It's over. That's, that's true. I, there's, uh, I'm going to have to go back and look at the rules and the fine. No, no, it's, to make oh, sure it's that... over. I actually won. Well, you're getting thumped in the other two, so I guess I can give you one. I'm still going to win two out of three. Oh, my gosh. I'm winning. Congratulations, Pete. Thank, nice I, job. Nice job, you know, Rick, for pointing that out. I'm not a lucky, I'm a very fortunate person. I've had a lot of fortune in my life. Uh, I've been fortunate. I'm not lucky. I'm not lucky. So to have to beat you with a stock split feels like it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's and, I, like, and my kids are fine too. It's kind of like getting that, uh, landing on that zero and betting on zero in the roulette out in Vegas. That's all we have time for this week on the show. Dame, thanks for your contribution. Singular. Everyone else. Sending good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. That was the show. Big Rick Swink bringing it. Thank you, my friend. Uh, uh, so he makes another. Rick is a. Rick's in the running for listener of the year. I'm just putting it right there. I think he's angling for co hosts, is what he's doing. I was listening to another podcast, Rick uh, Notes, uh, this morning. And they were. Why are you listening to other podcasts? <laughs> Freaking do something, Rick. I'm sorry. How stock splits really are no longer necessary. It used to be yeah. to make stocks affordable. Uh, but now most people have access to buy fractional shares. Now splits are just for publicity at this point. Exactly. Yeah. That's a pretty excellent point. That's like you could only really buy stocks in round lots back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a few exceptions. But now with fractional shares, it doesn't really matter. Good it, was more it was more expensive to not buy a round lot. So there was no reason. Uh, well, there wasn't no reason. It was just a, a big impediment to, to doing that. But now a fractional shares. Who cares? Oh, look how handsome those realtors are. Yeah. Oh, my God. These guys. The guy on the right, Eric, I bet he smells like Drakkar. I think he's probably swung a hammer in his day. I, he looks like he's maybe got a little construction background. And the guy on the left. Oh, man, he just he looks he's just so handsome. I want to buy a hundred million dollar home from these guys. He wants to saddle up to a table with you in New Orleans and, and, and share food. That's all I got. All right, Dame. Um, thanks for being here with us. I'm going to take these gentlemen off the screen here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being on the show, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week and uh, stay getting money.